With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom by simply visiting www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio with Marie. Joining me now is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. He's also a senior economics columnist for the Epic Times, author of 10 books, including Liberty or Lockdown, and thousands of articles in the scholarly and popular press. He speaks widely on topics of economics, technology, social philosophy, and culture. Jeffrey A. Tucker, welcome to Counterculture. How are you? That's very nice to be here. Thank you. It's very nice to have you. The Western social fabric in its current state, is it terminal or do you think it can be revived and saved? Everything can be revived in some way. There's nothing about the logic of history that is uh, creates inevitabilities. But we're facing immense challenges. And we have now for a better part of uh, four years. Um, that's when the crisis really uh, kicked off, um, precipitated by the COVID lockdowns, of course. But that has created vast distrust in our political institutions, uh, grave skepticism skepticism toward the expert class, not just in one country, but really in all countries, um, an economic crisis, certainly in, in uh, most of the Commonwealth countries and the United States, <clears throat> and, 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 and further problems associated with the uh, unwillingness on the part of the ruling class in most of these developed world to admit having done anything wrong at all. And so they and their successors are still in charge. And it's very frustrating for us because we're being tested. Does democracy work? <laughs> or is it a handmaiden of, of the perpetration of tyranny? We just don't really know yet. No, and sometimes with these situations, I find you often need to look backwards in order to look forwards. And recently, you've written in regards to some of the similarities around that um, admission of guilt, as it were, mm. to the Great War and World War One. So talk a little bit more about that. Well, these were, World War One was a great trauma, of course, um, and and there was a widespread regret on the part of, yeah, basically everybody for what happened. I mean, basically the destruction of Europe, the <clears throat> wiping out of the old world in a way that was almost inadvertent, and then introducing this to a world that was uncertain, with vast casualties. Um, and there was such pain associated with it. There was a, a psychological impact of it of um, kind of what you associate with abusive situations, that it's easier just to forget about them. And and move on with your life and sort of sort of submerge the pain as deeply as possible, um, but that's not usually the best answer. Actually, we, what we'd really like is some truth and honesty, so we can avoid doing that again, and maybe even achieve a modicum of justice for the perpetrators of what went wrong. But uh, we're nowhere near that, and unfortunately, it's it's it, it's so long as we don't have truth coming out of it. Uh, we're in danger of entrenching all the problems that that afflicted us over the last several years. Mm -hmm. And we're just not getting that kind of honesty. Uh, one of the things that shocked me was that I thought that hmm, because so many people in in the commanding heights of power were wrong about what happened uh, during the COVID lockdowns and shop mandates and everything that followed, that there would be a, a widespread uh, rush to admit error uh, because so many people were wrong. Well, 
I mean, it's been a learning experience for me because, of course, the opposite has been true. I mean, the more widespread the error, the the less likely it is that you're going to get truth and honesty because everybody has a kind of um, a stake in perpetrating the lies. And I think and Hannah Arendt spoke to that many years ago, didn't she? Yeah. She did. Yeah, she did. She did. She did speak about this. It's a problem with totalitarianism, the definition of which is not that you have one autocrat controlling the whole, the whole of everything. It what it means is that the whole of everything is profoundly affected by the tyrannical impulse. <laughs> That's what totalitarianism means. Now, I'm I'm telling you things I didn't know uh, five years ago. You know, so we've all lived through this kind of learning process where it's been weird because you know we had something like forty years of 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 what we you know in the before times of seeming normalcy. You know, where life was somewhat predictable. Yes, there were problems here and problems there, but they seemed fixable and more or less society worked. There seemed to be some relationship between uh, what the politicians did and what the public felt about it. And we seem to have mechanisms in place that would correct errors gradually. Um, yes, everything seemed more or less functional for the better part of 40 or years or longer for most of us in the West. And then just all at once, everything just, you know, the, the breakage was, was apparent to, to us. And so none of the things that we thought were true turn out to be true. There isn't a mechanism in place for correcting errors. There isn't a clear relationship between the attitudes on the part of the public and the responsiveness on the part of our public officials. There's a vast gulf that separates the the two. There there isn't a kind of a a check in place to hold to account uh, abusive behavior by public officials. The press is not independent. <laughs> that that's been something we didn't. I'm not sure we knew. I mean, I guess I I always thought about the mainstream media as biased, but I never thought of them as wholly captured. <laughs> you know, there's really mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah, there is. You mentioned justice before. What does justice look like in this situation? Well, I think um, in this case, um, uh, the most minimal. Uh, thing would be to expect what is what is the old Aristotelian definition of justice? It's giving to to each uh, what he or she deserves, something like that. And at the very very least, the people who are actively involved in in um, the in the creation and perpetration of the crisis, from the from the lockdowns to the shop mandates to the the payoffs and the you know the big bucks being earned from the stimulus and all the rest of it that they should certainly uh, lose some professional standing and be subject to some kind of public uh, grilling and be discredited for what they did. You know, I mean, at the at the very minimum, I think that's what what we need. I mean, we have to have that. Instead of this opposite, we're getting. The opposite of justice. I mean, every public health journal in the, in the Western world is saying, you know, everything was great. It was wonderful. They're valorizing uh, Jacinda Ardern, who now has Ugh. two two appointments <coughs> at uh, Harvard, <clears throat> two highly paid appointments at Harvard. You know, after having given the commencement address <clears throat> at Harvard, I think, and being cheered by all the idiot undergraduates, now gets two um, high paid positions there. So. You know, I'm sorry to say that the U.S. is being used as a kind of a sanctuary for people who are fleeing 
<laughs> Look, I have to say, Jeffrey, you can keep her. You, we, we don't need her back. <laughs> we're, we wanted to, sh- we want to ship her back, but anyway. no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Well, you know, maybe- look, it's our gift. It is our gift to you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is why the why God created the North and South Poles for people like that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And well, just to give you an example, this is a uh, an excerpt from a news article from one of our leading newspapers last week. Mm-hmm. And it is quoting the Tefatuk Water Chief, which is the head of our um, single governing health body for the entire country. Yeah. Chief Executive Margie Arpa said, the misinformation about vaccines that has been put out in the public arena in relation to our data is completely wrong, she said. The person behind those claims was the data administrator with no clinical knowledge or expertise in vaccines. Vaccination is safe and effective and everyone should keep up to date with their shots and protect themselves, their whānau, which is Māori for family, in their communities. And this is in regards to the senior data analyst, which has leaked uh, data around vaccination locations mm-hmm. and mortality following an excess death. So, and I mean, this is just from last week. Yeah. Well, these are just incantations, and we've heard them now for four straight years, and I'm not sure there's a living soul on the planet Earth who believes them. Um, and it really begs the question that if the, these data leaks didn't show anything of any substance, why are, why are such uh, extraordinary efforts being being undertaken to 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 apply sort of punitive consequences for, for, the, for the data leak? I mean, if the data is nothing to fear than just release it all you know i mean mm. but but in every country um <clears throat> the vaccine safety data is is being uh kept under wraps so we don't know and then the little bit that we have <clears throat> uh, they're claiming it's not it's not true you know so in the u.s we have i don't know a thousand times the various reports from what's called the various system of vaccine injury as a consequence of these COVID-19 vaccines. And they say, oh, well, those don't matter. Those are not reliable. So anything that goes against the narrative is considered unreliable. <clears throat> Everything else is being hidden. If you want to verify their claims that it's safe and effective, um, there's there's no data uh, that's that, that, that actually stands up to scrutiny that seems to underscore mm-hmm. that. So th- this is a serious problem. But, you know, there's an even more fundamental problem, namely... Um, the very first condition of a, of any kind of medicine is you don't want to uh, 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 make it available, much less force it on people unless it's necessary. And we knew from February of 2020 that there was an extreme risk gradient associated with contracting the SARS-CoV-2 virus that was mostly impacted uh, people near the end of end of life with uh, multiple comorbidities. We knew this for 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 certain uh, by the first and second week of February 2020. And yet the vaccine rollout happened, and then uh, then got uh, imposed upon <clears throat> essentially everybody in the U.S. The FDA has approved it for six month old. Now this this doesn't make sense for on multiple levels. I mean, one is the shot. Uh, protects against if it does protect against anything for 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 a now deprecated strain and we know that the effectiveness of to the extent that that's true is only two or, two or three months um so so even if the children were vulnerable which they're not uh the uh, they're not even gonna they're gonna by the time they turn one uh the vaccine will have been at best irrelevant to them and actually potentially very dangerous so the idea that 
it would have been approved with with no clinical trials whatsoever, no proof whatsoever. This is purely uh, nothing other than a an industrial uh, plot to find more people to get vaccines to. And in in the U.S. case, the <clears throat> liability against damages for the shots are are uh, 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 most secure when you get a vaccine on the so-called childhood schedule. So once it leaves the childhood schedule, then it has to be subject to other forms of immunity that are more vulnerable to legislative deletion. But if it's on the childhood immunity schedule, then it gets permanent immunity from, um, from it's in, permanently indemnified against any liability. So the, the so what they're doing is using children as a sort of guinea pigs in a in a, a big legal experiment. Well, they're, they're they're using them as a, as a human shield, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we know this, and you know, anybody who looks into this knows this. So if we live in this very strange world where, as you said, the you know the health bureaucracies make these implausible claims that we know are fake. Uh, they know they're fake. Uh, they know that we know they're fake, and so on it goes. But yet we continue to live in this world of let's pretend. And this is not what we imagined democracy to work like. <laughs> we just, the whole idea of democracy was that we're supposed to have some sort of feedback relationship between uh, the people and the public life of, uh, of, our, of, of our governing authorities. I mean, that was the idea. But here we have this vast chasm that looks more like what we believed, how we believed the world worked in, say, the old Soviet Union or uh, other totalitarian uh, societies. And we just never expected that it would happen to us. And yet it did happen to us, and it continues mm. to happen to us. And so, I just don't know how, how it breaks. I, I don't know. I don't believe that it's viable. I, I don't believe that we can continue to sustain this. The situation, but I just don't know what it looks like to have the current uh, ubiquity of lies uh, fall apart. I'm not. I'm not sure what the consequences are, mm. and the reason is we have no historical precedent for anything like this. No. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you from an economic perspective is that why did nations, particularly Western nations, throw the economic baby out with the bathwater? And not follow basic economic principles within those lockdowns. I mean, we've got a yeah. a weight of debt now that we are drowning under in this country, and mm -hmm. we are just one of many. So, we how did they get it so horribly wrong? Uh, it was extraordinary, and I remember back in those days, um, the the people who were concerned about the economic consequences were completely disregarded and and kept in the in the basement of the back rooms and the other rooms and told to shut up don't tell me about the stock market you know we've got we've got matters of life and death here and so there was a perception that that we had to take undertake extreme measures regardless of the consequences uh very short-term minded for sure and maniacally focused on one thing which was kind of sort of pathogenic avoidance as opposed to everything we've learned about uh, economic cause and effect over 300 years. So <laughs> it was a, 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 a kind of fallacy on, on a mega, mega scale that I, I never thought was uh, possible. I mean, that's generally because I assumed 
with, especially in the age of the internet, that we lived in an age of sort of information sharing, you know, when there would be knowledge available to everybody and no longer could the ruling class bamboozle uh, people with, with lies and that we would, uh, you know, as, as, as modern people with information available, we were more civilized than the people of the past. And I kind of believed all this stuff. So it was a little strange for me to watch this unfolding of of wild myth and maniacal um single variant thinking you know uh the the tossing out of of everything we knew about human psychology and sociology and economics and everything else just for this one consideration of of pathogenic avoidance the treatment of all human beings as nothing other than disease vectors which happened for for a time that's why the masks and the social distancing regulations and the banning of meetings, the closure of churches and businesses, which happened in New Zealand um, in a slightly different way than the U.S. In the U.S., there's a lot of internal controls. I guess New Zealand had lots of flash lockdowns, but for the most part stayed, I think, for the most part, was more or less we, open internally. We had an open period between yeah. the first lockdown and the second lockdown. So the first... Yeah. Um, because we're a series of islands, it was very, very easy. We closed our borders. So one of the mm -hmm. big bones of contention here was the closing of those borders, and we closed our borders to our own citizens, which is, mm -hmm. whilst we don't, we're one of only a handful of nations that doesn't have a constitution, that does fly within the face of the legal requirements for any citizen to be able to return home. And yeah. the consequences of that are still being far, you know, far-reaching. And our lockdowns were brutal. They were brutal. Yeah, and I see. Mm, so, the, and, and it was just the level of controls and the mixed messaging and the breaking of articles within our Bill of Rights with no thought whatsoever to yeah. the consequences or what other people think. And the devastation of the tourism industry, of course, which I think mm. is something like 5%, 10% of the New Zealand GDP, it all just went, you know, flatlined. Um, you know, an alternative, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever read this, there's an American author named Edgar Allan Poe, and he wrote this book called The Mask of the Red Death. And it was about a, a, a prince, and his name is Prince Prospero. <laughs> and there is a the Red Death, you know, which you can think of as the robotic plague came came to town, and he gathered up all of the ruling class elites and got many many cases of wine and enough food to last a very long time, and gathered everybody in the castle, and they hid in there and held parties uh, for I don't know how long it went on, but let's just say it was three months, six months, something like that, and then. Um, once it was clear that the pathogen had, that the plague had passed, uh, they held one final uh, ball, and at the ball there was an unusual visitor, and that unusual visitor, you know, was dressed in red, and and uh, you can imagine that that the guy represented the plague, and then and then everybody in the castle died. So that was the story, and when. Uh, New Zealand closed, I thought, well, this is just like Edgar Allan Poe's story. <laughs> New Zealand's going into the castle to avoid the pathogen. Everybody in the world can get sick. We're going to stay clean. The, there was always a problem because a New Zealand population needed to develop immunity to the pathogen. I mean, once you close your borders, you have to keep them closed forever, and then you become a primitive tribe, um, immunologically naive, 
and actually I'm less healthy than ever. So that's a problem. You cannot stay closed forever. At some point, you'd have to open up. I guess the theory was once the vaccine comes along, then we'll be protected and we'll open up. But then that didn't work because the vaccine didn't stop infection or, or transmission. So once that was clear, and that became very clear um, pretty early on, actually, mm-hmm. after very uh, early so on. Within, within four or five months after the, the release of the vaccine. So, um, so it never made sense to close down. You know, an alternative path that New Zealand might have pursued. And, you know, it's easy to kind of look back and game this another way, was that of Mexico. So Mexico um, didn't really have severe lockdowns at all. It was like everything is Mexican culture is like, let's pretend to do one thing, but actually do another. So they pretended to lock, but they never actually locked up. There's no way you can keep Mexicans from going to church and whatever. So they, they went ahead with their lives. But the incredible thing is that they were encouraging immigration from all over the world. So there's one of the few places that Americans could actually go during the lockdown. So Americans just flooded into Mexico to get some freedom. Mexico has experienced an enormous rise in, in, uh, in inflow of dollars and prosperity and capital. And now it has vast numbers of, of um, uh, expats living there. And they did it because they pursued a kind of an open policy during COVID. When the rest of the world shut down, Mexico was entirely open. And they've benefited in enormously uh, from an economic point of view. I mean, New Zealand could have done the same thing. Imagine if New Zealand had stayed completely open. Uh, Americans would have been flooding the place. I mean, yeah. and Europeans and yeah, Australians. We did actually have a number of them come here and and they sort of touted how wonderful it was. But when it comes with Jacinda Ardern, one of her famous lines, and she has many, is we like to do things differently down here. Yeah, right. Well, mm. who did she consult? I mean, certainly not the voters and certainly not the actual science. It looked to me like she was just seizing power, at yes. least from the U.S. Point of, point of view. That's what it looked like. Uh, it was just a, a crazy woman with a, with a, a problematic personality who was using this as an excuse to exercise totalitarian control and, and openly bragging about how she's created a two, two-class society, you know, some people with rights and some without, depending on whether and to what extent they agreed, uh, obeyed her. And then going as far as to saying, <clears throat> this, it was like a dystopian movie, we are your one source of truth, you know. I mean, it's just, just a level of, mm. of absurdity. It is. Well, then, we've, now, we've now just had a change of government, so we have a yeah. th- three-way coalition. So they have now, they've only been sitting in the House for a little over a week, and there is already unrest from those on the other side, because of course they've had it one-way traffic for so long now, for six years. So all of a sudden they are seeing much of their progress about to be undone. My concern is, and I wanted to ask you about this, is do you think not only New Zealand, but other Western nations are actually now standing on the precipice of an economic cliff? Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, let me just tell you something that's mm. very interesting, um, a little bias that all of us developed during the COVID years, is it became very easy for us to look at the errors of other nations and and avoid the errors of our own. So, so poor New Zealand became the object of a great deal of ridicule around the world. Right. <laughs> but, and that's sort of fun. It's fun to go, oh, look at that crazy woman and her, her, her wacky ways. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of more than enough problems. Every nation has its own issues. And uh, we should look more carefully at those. And yes, I definitely, the, the industrialized democratic 
uh, West in the in in uh, uh, in developed nations, the U.S. and Commonwealth countries are uh, are on the precipice of a grave grave crisis. I mean, I don't think there's any question that the U.S. is losing its its empire, um, and and uh, is is definitely peaked in in terms of its um, its ability to sort of muscle uh, people around the world. And uh, our growth rates are are flat, flatlined, despite what they tell you. Uh, we are not growing. Uh, um, there's a, no job creation in the U.S. apart from people getting second and third jobs. Um, <clears throat> we're we're in a re- deep recessionary environment, and the same thing is true for a good part of Europe, which is in grave trouble. And then you add on to that, you know, the the COVID lockdowns and the after effects of that with. <clears throat> The refugee crisis in Europe, and then the open borders in the U.S. and and, and now, so just to be clear, uh, many of us like me, you know, would favor more immigration to the U.S. I mean, we need vastly more. I mean, God knows we have a talent shortage in this country, and we have a worker shortage in this country. We desperately need immigrants. But the way to run an immigration policy is not just to f- fling open your borders mm. and invite the entire world to sort of rush in. I mean, that's that's what. Meanwhile, um, keeping out um, uh, people from Australia, New Zealand, um, the Far East, and Europe, and for that matter, Canada. So we've got an upside down immigration policy in this country, and it's creating creating tremendous amounts of political anger. And kind of revving up nativist um, uh, political impulses in the U.S. too, which is also goes with it. So, no matter how you look at it, it's a grave crisis. Not to mention the debt and the economic problems. Uh, our inflation is not going anywhere. I mean, I think for two years now we've been hearing that inflation is going away. Well, the report just came out this morning. It's once again basically double what the uh, uh, what it's supposed to be according to the targets of the central bank <clears throat> and no respite whatsoever i mean the 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 amount of money creation during the pandemic is unbelievable uh at its peak it reached uh, 26 an increase of 26% per annum uh and that money is still sloshing around and it's profoundly affecting uh the american standard of living so that that the dollar in terms of domestic uh, value of uh, uh, relative goods and services has fallen about 20% in four years. And this morning, the inflation rate minus f- food and energy, which kind of cancel each other out, food's up, energy's down, is still about 4%. Well, 4% over forecast over another four years, I have to do the math, but I'm, I'm looking, we're looking at losing a quarter even as much as a third of value in a, in, in a very short period of time. And what that does to real incomes and living standards um, is devastating for the for the poor, especially, but even for the middle class. And the only people who can survive this are the extremely well-to-do. Mm. We're doing just fine. Well, it appears to me that it's the very, very heady drug of socialism has actually perpetuated its claws into the United States psyche, particularly yeah. with the current government, more than I think they would care to admit. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? <clears throat> uh, cer- certainly that's true. And it's a, it's a, it's a traditionally socialism is, has been an ideology associated with the working classes. Um, 
the rights of laborers over capital and so on. That is emphatically not true this time. Uh, socialism is entirely a ruling class ideology born of Ivy League uh, educated uh, or credentialed elites with no real skills who uh, find themselves in, in position positions of, of money and power by virtue of their identity or their credentials or their privileges otherwise. So that's what socialism is in, in, in reality. Unfortunately, we have a whole kind of professional class in this country that is very much detached from real work and real uh, skills and real uh, achievements in anything. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, America is the laziest country on the planet Earth. I can promise you that. It's unbelievable how lazy everything is. And, and every small businessman I know uh, is complaining they can't get workers. Uh, because and nobody knows how to do anything. And and by the way, this is going to get much worse. You look at the status of young people, you know, who are coming out of two years of of school closures, and Zoom class or whatever, and uh, the educational attainment standards have collapsed. It started off as two years of lost education, but it's extending now. It's three years and four years, so it's getting worse, not better. And these are the people in ten years are going to people are the people who are going to be entering. Uh, college or the workforce without any knowledge of, of history, even reading basic math. It's unbelievable what we've done. I mean, gosh, I hate to sound so um, pessimistic about things, but I mean, on the current trajectory, you know, we're, we're looking at losing um, everything we've associated with what we used to call civilization. Mm. Listen, I can tell you, it is so bad. Um, the crime. Uh, in the U.S. is has become so so everywhere that it's not it's hardly even reported anymore. I was at a store this morning, and by the way, I live in a very nice area. I was at a store this morning, and there's a sign in the door that said "No backpacks." And I said to the um, I said to the merchant, I "said well, How can you allow backpacks?" He goes, "Well, he said there's only one reason for bringing a backpack in here, and that's to stuff it full of things and then run out." He said, I've seen it too much, and so now I'm just banning backpacks. So this is what they do. Just go into the store, stuff it full of things, run out. I said, why don't you call the police? And he said, the police? The police are on their side. He said, they do nothing. They won't do anything. So the police are basically enabling this to happen. He said, why is that? He goes, well, he said, I don't know why it is, but um, <clears throat> they get in trouble probably if they arrest people. So they don't, don't arrest, arrest people. They stick to stopping um people on the road who are, who are going over the speed limit, because those people tend to comply with the law. But the people who, who aren't complying with the law are the people who stuff their backpacks full of goods and run out the door. And this guy's like talking, this is just one store, one guy, but this is the, this is the world they live in now. Mm. Petty mm. theft is everywhere. Property rights aren't secure anymore. Mm. So the political winds are starting to change in many places. So Javier Melee, what are your thoughts here with Argentina? Well, I... I'm of course very impressed by by his by his language and his, his rhetoric and um but I I'm not sure how he's going to get from here to there. Uh there seem to be some initial good reports and some less good reports. Uh, uh Argentina on a dollar standard <clears throat> could just make the whole country subject to uh imperial control from from Goldman Sachs, you know, so that's not necessarily an improvement. Um he does seem to have abolished a lot of agencies, but you know you have to be careful of this stuff. Uh, ab abolish, abolishing agencies is good, but consolidating agency functions in other 
government agencies is not good. I mean, uh, would you rather have uh, 180 small bureaucracies or one gigantic beastly bureaucracy? I mean, you know, that's not... So we're, we're going to have to wait and see. He faces a lot of challenges. I think there's... I think it's a sincere guy. Uh, my biggest worry is is that um, he claims to be an anarcho-capitalist and a libertarian for that matter. Um, my worry is that if he doesn't succeed, um, that will be blamed on anarcho-capitalist ideology and libertarianism. You know, mm. the, oh, see, that didn't work. More than what they're already blaming it for now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's a, it's a it's a problem. I mean, there's many reasons to believe that there's a lot of political instability in the world, and that can be good and it can be bad. And we're just waiting to see which which one turns to which. Um, I'm not optimistic about a Trump second term. I mean, we couldn't f- forget that it was Trump who actually greenlighted the lockdowns the last time and protected Fauci and has has. Um, you know, calls himself the father of the uh, mRNA vaccines. So uh, this is not exactly the person you want to be head of state a second time around. Um, but do you think he will get the nomination? Um, I would say some very powerful people in this country want him to get the nomination because they think that once he gets the nomination. <clears throat> then he's going to face a huge range of of uh, uh, legal legal trouble. Well, he faces that now, but it's going to get more serious. And then once he's under, you know, he's c- convicted in unfriendly courts, then he'll be, you know, awaiting sentencing um, during the presidential campaign, which is going to split the uh, Republican Party. You're going to have grave regrets for having nominated him. And then that's going to provide an opening for um, the Democrats. Biden can easily step aside. And somebody like Newsom from California, who's basically our, our just Jacinda Ardern, could step into that role. And then with a, a split Republican Party um, and 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 then... Um, RFK as a third party candidate um, taking away uh, other votes could leave somebody somebody like Newsom to be president, and if that and that if that happens, then the Great Reset will be complete. And I fear for this country's future. Newsom has he indicated that he wants to stand though, or do you think he because he's he's a very shiny but dumb hammer? That's my sort of observation of him. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He seems like the most viable person, and and he'll step up if he has the opportunity. Mm. Um, I mean, he's he's like the CGI candidate. I mean, he's just con- entirely created by artificial intelligence. I mean, he's just he's not even. There's nothing real about the guy, and the guy uh, is a pathological liar too. But he'll step into the role if it comes down to it, um, and I do think that that's part of the plan. Just to put him in that in that position, and then uh, consolidate the gains that they they that they that pharma and the deep state got, and the censorship and everything uh, gained during the COVID lockdowns to make it a permanent future of American life. And the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, will be gone out the window forever. Mm. So that's the pessimistic case. Um, 
you know, uh, an alternative view is that they can't stop Trump. Trump gets to be president, and he surrounds himself with enough good people uh, to actually accomplish something and 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 gut the deep state. You know, that's that's the optimistic scenario. I think it's far less likely, unfortunately, but it's always possible. You never know. You never know. Well, I mean, 2016, I mean, they, you know, so many, they were so convinced of one result and they got an entirely another one. So that precedent has really already been set that you can't lay, you know, very strong odds on something happening. That's true. And, but, you know, the the thing is that since 2016, they've really, uh, the deep state actors have gone to great lengths to make sure they have a greater degree of control over the voting voting system in this country. So there's a real tug of war in this country over things like absentee ballots, which you know, which was what killed Trump in 2020, and uh, counting systems and that sort of thing. But you know, whether we 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 have fair elections in this country, we we don't really know. Um, uh, 2022 had a lot of anomalies. Um, so, and I know that a lot of people are hard at work to make sure that doesn't happen again. But mm. uh, we're just gonna have to wait and see. You know, well, that's just, all part of that social contract and social fabric, isn't it? It's something that's yeah. very important to maintain. And if you can't actually maintain integrity yeah. in your elections, where do you go to from there? What do you do? Right, your democracy. It depends fundamentally on integrity and and the voting system and the balloting. Uh, which I'd never thought of. I thought that was just something that just goes with the, you know, that that would never be, <clears throat> that would never be manipulated, but, but it is. So, and once that happens, uh, where do the people who love freedom, where do they go? Uh, at that point, I just don't know what the answer is. Um, I'm assuming that if it gets bad enough, this country, we're just going to see a tremendous exodus from the U.S., <clears throat> and they're going to go to places like Latin America and the Far East, which mm. seem like um, they have the, the greatest, and Eastern Europe, actually. I mean, mm. places like Poland, Hungary, uh, Croatia, Romania seem to have uh, a, a, a greater protections for individual liberty than... than I interviewed uh, New Zealand's Hungarian ambassador here um, a few uh, weeks back, and it was yeah. fascinating. I yeah. had to say to Jolt, I said, oh, I'm packing my bags. <laughs> I know. Have you ever been to Budapest? No, I haven't. But that's why I asked about Javier Millet, because I'm spending five weeks in um, Argentina and Uruguay, because okay. Uruguay is the quiet little achiever yes. in right. South America. And right. I um, just, we're looking at that as a potential option for um, uh-huh. for retirement, yeah, yeah. bouncing around, perhaps, yeah. Jeffrey. Yeah, and that is a, uh, a Portuguese-speaking country, where. Am I right? Uh, no, Spanish, but they've got a sort of a Uruguay. very weird accented dialect, the Uruguayans, yeah. But they're a little financial haven for the Brazilians in the north and the Argentinians in the south who always have a certain level of uh, disruption within their financial environments. Okay. So, yeah, should be interesting. But, you know, uh, so Mille has a chance to create a real <clears throat> haven of freedom, you know, in that country. Maybe he has a chance. Um, we'll see. I mean, but I would hate for it's amazing how bad had the things had to get for people to turn to somebody like me. Like, um, but I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm friends with many of his advisors. I've not had any personal contact with him, but uh, um, he, let's just say he, if he's sincere, which I assume he is, the challenges are immense. Mm. 
Um, another another th- thing that I'm—I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm wild for Mexico. I think it's a, a fantastic country. Salvador is also clicking along very nicely. Um, one of the strange play- players out there, Nicaragua. You know, Nicaragua is one of five states in the world that didn't lock down during COVID. Mm-hmm. My brother's going there for Christmas, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 It's so a great let's, let's talk a little bit just before we go around free speech in the media, because Brownstone, I know for me, came out like a beacon from this absolute dumpster mm-hmm. fire, which was yeah. censorship and media bias. And right. I see that Tucker Carlson has just announced that he's about to start his own network. This mm-hmm. station was created for very similar reasons, because we needed to have a parallel structure to get speech sure. out there because speech was being either compelled or completely censored. Where right. are you seeing the alternative sources of information and media going? Well, I'm forward? so grateful that they even exist. I don't think there was any intention on the part of the sort of ruling class censors that things like Substack and uh, would exist here. For that matter, that Elon Musk would buy X by Twitter and turn it into a free speech platform. So they still exist, but we're under fire every day. <clears throat> I um, I had an event cancel. I used this event software called Eventbrite, which is the most popular event software in the US. Well, I had a, an event scheduled for January of my Brownstone Supper Club. They just canceled it. They just said, no, you can't do that, and deleted the event and refunded all the tickets. Left me, so I had to create a native platform on our own website, like overnight, just so I could have freedom to meet with people and hear a different point of view. Unbelievable. And other things keep happening. Like there's this other company called Media Matters that has been hounding me since we were founded with with phone calls and emails about fact-checking on this, fact-checking on that, and wanting to rate us. And they're kind of powerful. They, if, um, if you comply with what they want, then they give you a good rating. Then other people like Bing subscribes to Media Matters to rank their search results and stuff like that. Well, I found out two days ago that Media Matters is is funded in part by the U.S. State Department. Okay, so it's a government tool. They just outsource their censorship to a third party, called it Media Matters, and they're harassing us. So we're facing this stuff every Mm. single day. It's political laundering, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, And it's supposed to be, you know, it's funny you talk about how you don't have a constitution uh and a lot of a lot of foreign people think the u.s is lucky because we do but all this stuff is in violation of the first amendment and and all you can do is litigate it but that litigation is now probably three to five years uh away from from completion it hasn't even gone to trial yet so in the meantime the government has a free hand and they're tightening controls all the time my friend naomi wolf's a website called Daily Cloud just got deleted from Facebook. This this is every day. Yeah, I know. I know. I know when I spoke to her, she, uh, and, and I think she mentions it in her book too, when she found Brownstone, I think yeah. for her it was finally like a yeah. relief because yeah. she literally saw her entire ideological and political sort of foundation burned down in front of her oh, almost yeah. overnight. Yeah. She often says this. She says, you know, that all of our institutions have collapsed. So it's up to us to create new ones, and Brownstone is part of that. But I tell you, we, we're spending more and more time trying to unplug from third parties that can cancel us just to survive. Mm. Not yeah, easy. And then we have to depend on, we don't use any advertising, uh, which is good. Um, 
but we have to depend on donors, you know. Yeah, and, that's exactly and, how we operate here, uh, funded by the people for the people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's the only and way. It is, and it is tough too when people are in, you know, the, the squeeze is on. So, the, so when you're asking um, our members, like we do, you know, f- to support us with subscriptions, you want to make sure that what you're able to provide for them is wonderful content, which you have done for me this morning beautifully. Oh, so, so I do that. appreciate that so much. So, last, I know we've, I mean, it made people, it's Christmas, Jeffrey. We have to give yes. them some, some, something cheerful and a little bit hopeful. What yeah. are some of the things that do still give you joy at this time of year? These days, I'm reading a lot of history and finding out that not all of history is that which I've experienced, which I lived in the in the salad days, the happiest years of the 20th century. That's when I grew up uh, from the 80s onwards. You know, everything was right. Um, so I'm digging back through history and realizing, yeah, you know, life life is a struggle, uh, full of poverty and and violence and and suffering. And we need to the way you get out of that is through personal strength. And and that means something different for everybody, but but these are the times to f- to figure out what that looks like in your own life, spiritual strength, physical strength, health, um, good strong friendships and communities. Um, we're in a stage of having to rebuild, uh, rebuild everything that we lost. We can do it, but it's going to require us to do something. We can't just be consumers of the good life. We have to be producers of it. <clears throat> and if we all we all th- throw ourselves into that. I think uh, we do have hope, but let's not be naive. You know, this is a crisis of our lives, and it's going to require all of our efforts. Mm. Resilience and courage is needed yeah. now more than ever. That's right, Je- Jeffrey A. Tucker. Thank you very much for joining me this morning from the Brownstone Institute. If our listeners want to connect with Brownstone, how do they do that? Um, we have about twenty. Um, pieces of real estate on all social media. But I'm, of course, a fan of Elon Musk's um, X platform and and our and our uh, feed there is about 50,000 people now following it. So that's good. We're doing fine. So you can find us there or on brownstone.org and you're welcome to sign up for our emails. That is wonderful. Thank you very much and have a Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you and same to you. All the Thank best. You. Don't disappear, everybody. More great content still here to come, including some more of Busky's Christmas classics. So strap in for that here on Counterculture with Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.